You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello everyone, my name's David Cohen and this is Tech Fan number 94. Apologies for the delays in getting new episodes. It's been a mad couple of weeks for both of us. Tim isn't here this week. Uh, he was away last week as well. He's hip deep in getting the latest Mac Specialist store out, up and running. And so he's not been able to do a show. Um, I also wasn't able to do a show last week just to pressures of work. Um, so I did want to bring something to you this week. Um, given all the controversies been over Apple Maps since iOS 6 launched, I thought it would be good to talk to somebody who knew something about mapping and electronic mapping. And so this week I'm joined by Darren Griffin from PocketGPSWorld.com. As you can probably tell from that name, they're experts in reviewing and understanding electronic mapping devices and software. And um, they've been in the business for a long time at looking at, at mapping devices and so uh, Darren's extremely well qualified to talk about um, the pros and cons of Apple Maps and Google Maps and all of that good stuff. So uh, we're going to talk about navigation and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Darren. How are you? Not bad. How are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks. What's going on with you? I've just got an iPhone 4 in bits over the desk here. Let me just move the screws out of the way so I don't lose them for later. Blimey. You know, I saw I saw something really clever the other day. It's like a magnetic mat. I've got one here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I saw it. I thought, that's exactly what I need next time I'm taking some to pieces. Lifesaver. Yeah. Lifesaver. I, I bought one shortly after I had them all, all apart on a little cutting mat, and my wife decided to tidy up the desk, and I spent the next three hours finding screws all over the floor. Oh, dear. You're a brave, man. You're a brave man than me taking one of those apart. Well, I think it's for a living now, so... Oh right, I see. I say I understand. Well, yeah, my friends, yeah. So I've, I've been poor in various disrepair states here. All oh, right, interesting. Have you uh, had a chance to disassemble an iPhone five yet? Then I pulled my own apart the first day I had it, <laughs> just to see how it works. Oh, I've heard that the screen and the screen, the glass, and everything is all one unit now. So you can replace a lot if you break it. Is that right? Well, it, it always was with the the fours were all one one unit as well. So there's a right. bit confusing there. The the, the, um, the digitised and the LCD were glued together on the four and the four S. So it's, that's no change. So there's really. no change, right? Okay. No, the difference being that the digitised is now part of the LCD rather than a separate glued together part. But it's still one unit. So right, I see. Okay, interesting. So I was wondering if we could have a a chat about maps uh, and, yes. and really see if we can kind of get under the skin of some of what's been going on and I thought that might make an interesting discussion and given that it's maps and mapping I thought you were definitely the man to speak to because that's <laughs> sure. your uh, your uh, you know something that's taken quite a lot of your life up yeah it's been an interesting few weeks yeah I, I mean you know like many of these things I think I you can't help feeling that the uh that the mapping has uh, the 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 fuss around the mapping is a little bit overblown, but obviously there is a, a nugget of truth in in the middle of it. I mean, what you've you've used the five? What was your was it was it the first thing? Or six. Hello. 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 You just dropped out then. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened there. That's kind of weird. Um, oh, but it's still recording, apparently. So, uh, all right, well, well, we'll push on. If if that happens again, we'll have to switch. I'll have to switch connections. Okay. I'm in the office, so it should be good. But um, Skype is a little, sometimes a little bit flaky here. Um, so yeah, I was just saying, you know, the first was the first thing you did when you got iOS six was immediately dive into maps, given that that 
mapping and GPS is something that you've got a, a close interest in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had the chance to use the navigation until I got the five because my I was on the uh, the beta program, but my four was obviously devoid of the navigation feature. But it was yeah. obviously the maps are greatly different. Yeah, but um, it's it's hard to understand quite where they've gone so so terribly wrong, really, because the whole the app itself is very nice and the navigation side works really well, but it's the it's the underlying data that's horribly messed up and it's, it's working out where they've gone so badly wrong there. That's the the, the, the real oddity. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting for me. I, I, the week before iOS 6 came out, I'd spent uh, a few days in Ireland, uh, and I was like the passenger navigator for a colleague who was driving. Um, yeah. So we and we were going all over the south of Ireland. We went down to Carlow, we went down to Cork, so we uh, and to places a little bit off the beaten track because of the work we were doing. So uh, we became fairly reliant on Google Maps, um, and you know, it was okay. The difficulty I always had with Google Maps, and this was definitely prevalent in the in the south of Ireland, was that because it's all raster based, if you were in an area of poor coverage, you would you would get a flashing dot on the screen showing you where you were, but you wouldn't get the underlying map data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you were on edge or or um, even worse on GPRS, then that would take forever to load, which which obviously was quite difficult. And that's definitely one of the things that the new Maps app has has resolved because it's all vector based. It's all apparently generated inside the phone off a data set um, and I've heard stories that even if you haven't got coverage provided you've kind of set the thing up before you go, um, it can go for some time without any data connection at all and still show you mapping. Yeah. So so from that point of view is an improvement but I think the difficulty is is that Certainly, I found as soon as I fired it up an awful lot of uh, not the big stuff like town, cities, road names, and that sort of thing, but the underlying stuff like the points of interest and the kind of the offbeat and the beaten track type stuff seems to be missing from Apple's data. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, obviously, um, Tom Tom had a big involvement in providing the base map layer, which is the you know, the, the core of the, the data itself. But it appears they've not bought from Tom Tom the, the place and road names layers. I don't know quite where they're getting them from. And they, they can be quite out of kilter. And again, the POIs—they're they're Yelp, Yelp, I believe. Yeah, which are, which are horrendous. Well, Yelp is not. I mean, Yelp is—I presume it's much bigger in the states, but certainly here in the UK, it's not something that a lot of people use, is it? And that's indeed no. That definitely shows from the UK data. It's very, very sparse. Um, I, I did. I did find myself wondering whether they might have avoided some of this by by partnering a bit more widely across the world with some of the uh, the points of interest data. But I, I suspect a lot of people would have struggled to have anything like the coverage that Google has. Yeah, well, that's, that's the big problem they face. Obviously, as you say, it's Google have got you know, true pan-world pan coverage for POIs and data, whereas they'd have had to enter into agreements with Lord knows how many partners to try and get that anywhere near that sort of coverage from to that sort of level of detail. I mean, TomTom yeah. Tom are very good in certain territories, but whether their POIs would come anywhere near Google, even in the territories where they're strong enough, I don't know. Well, I mean, you've obviously POI data is something you, you deal in as, as a stock in trade. I mean, your, your pocket GPS world actually, you know, sells speed camera data, don't you? Yeah. You've got a subscription for that. So that's that's something that, that you're used to. And, and your data is very much about... Uh, you know, crowdsource data because you have a you, you you have a scheme where people can update the locations of speed cameras and actually keep your data up to date, and and that seems to me to be an important part of how this works. I mean, what was your experience 
in when you started doing the safety camera data how how quickly was it that you felt you had a critical mass of of data points coming back to to sort of really bring the database into line was that something that happened very quickly once you had enough users it did yeah we started off we we collected our own data from all the different various sources that were available you know the speed camera partnerships plotted those called in favors from friends to go and check cameras we got a, a very small core data set and then we opened it up to the uh the user base to report and probably within the space of about six or seven months, we had a, a pretty pretty good database. You know, certainly about seventy five, eighty percent accurate. Right. That, and so, I mean, some's on the size of Apple. I would imagine that if they oper- if they opened it up to community reporting, a, pro- a proper app rather than just this reporting error, they could probably capture these these uh, errors and correct them relatively quickly. But it needs a bit of investment from them, obviously. It is it is unfortunate that you know, unfortunately, we live in a world nowadays where people's first response when they find a problem is rather than click a support link and report it to the company concerned is they go on Twitter and complain. Yeah. <laughs> um, which doesn't really help anybody apart from uh, maybe giving them an opportunity to sound off. But I do agree with you that the um, the problem reporting interface, once you get into it, it's okay. But actually, it is uh, it is just a little grey button and it doesn't really jump out at you. And I do wonder whether uh, they could do with making that a bit more obvious. Yeah, at the moment, I'd imagine they're going to get a tiny percentage of users are even going to bother reporting because it's certainly not. I say it's not obvious and it's not simple to do. They need to be able to tap on the screen and you know on an icon and it reports it and says this is correct. It needs to be here or flag it flag it as an error or whatever. I mean, people like Foursquare and Waze and that make make, make those reporting issues much simpler to do. The yeah. more simpler they make it, the more they're going to get. Yeah. It's it's interesting because as you say I've never been a big fan of offboard mapping the, the, these apps like Google Maps and something now Apple where the maps are stored on a remote server because, as you say, you're reliant on a data connection, which is great if you're in a city, but not so good if you're abroad or if you're out in the country. But um, I'm surprised at how many people do rely on the, on the app. I'm not sure how many people rely on Google app, Google's map app in iOS for navigation, but certainly for finding businesses and looking up street view you know, to find the front door of an office. Now, that's, that's something that obviously was used a lot more than I'd imagined. Yeah, and, and yet... Um... The interesting thing about the, the froth around this is that I've certainly, from personal experience in the last couple of years, I've, I've had several instances where Google Maps has let me down very, very badly in much the same way people are complaining about with Apple Maps. Um, I've, had, I've had a circumstance. I was looking for... Um, I was in London and, and with my wife, and we were looking for Fortnum & Mason, which is, for the non-UK listeners, is a, is a old, very old and historic... Uh, department store. It's kind of like, if you imagine the original Macy's in New York, it's kind of, of that sort of vintage. Patron, uh, patron by the Queen um, and uh, fabulous mince pies, but all very expensive, uh, you know, upper-end food. And, and I'd never been there before. My wife said to, said to me once when we were in London, well, let's, let's go to Fortnum and Mason and pick up some mince pies. It was close to Christmas. And Google Maps took us to a Royal Mail sorting depot um, just off Oxford Street. Uh, that it was convinced was Fortnum and Mason, and we actually walked up and down the street either side of this building, convinced that we were just missing this huge department store, until, you know, after about half an hour wandering around, we realised that, in fact, the, the data point was completely wrong, and it wasn't even close. I mean, it was it was like about a mile and a half away from where Fortnum and Mason yeah. actually is. Uh, and then um, just a few months ago, I was going visiting my brother in um, in Essex, and I got off, I was going on, normally I drive when I go there, but uh, this time I was on the train, and he told me it was only about 10 minutes walk from the train station, got off the train, um, 
put his address into Google Maps, followed it up there, and it got me onto the right street. But it, the address it was convinced he was at was probably about half a mile in the wrong direction from where his building actually was. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so it was the kind of it was almost like the 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 numbers on the street were out of sync with the real numbers by yeah. again by about a quarter of a mile. Um, and uh, you know so. Google Maps itself is not perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I I, couldn't help thinking to myself that if you were a new entry into the mapping game, say, you know, you were setting... Suppose, you know, you're, obviously there's the big ones like TomTom and Garmin, but rem- imagine when TomTom started, because mm. they're, they're a fairly new company. They've only been going about eight years or so, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So if, imagine when they started, instead of starting as they did with... You know, small GPS units sold in a particular country um, and then updated over time and then, you know, organically growing. Instead of starting that, they'd done a big bang release right across the the UK, the US and Europe um, or right across the world effectively. And then on the day one, they sold over 100 million units that were all being used exclusively on that first day. Mm. I would imagine their their response would have been much the same as Apple did. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're talking about. I mean, I know there's the very cute websites uh, that kind of talk about you know, that show the, you know, the the melting bridges and the, you know, the mislabeled yeah. things yeah. and all that sort of thing. And that's all. It's all very amusing. But you actually browse through those and look at the number of instances being reported. Um, there's a few hundred, uh, and obviously not everyone's going to report every error to those websites. But it's a it's a representative sample. But even even if that <laughs> If that reporting is only one percent of the problems people are finding, and then only one percent of the people who find those problems actually report them to those websites, and you you kind of scale that up, that's still a very tiny percentage of the hundred million users who Absolutely. are currently using this Absolutely. thing. Yeah. So you have to wonder how big the scale of the problem is, while not necessarily um, denying that the problem is there. And clearly, Apple feels that they had to respond because they've done a public apology. Yeah, and as you said, I think it's been blown out of all proportion to the, the, the true size of the problem. And in some countries, apparently, the maps are, you know, are far superior to Google's. And I believe China's one of the places that's benefited immensely from the new app, Maps app. But, I mean, I'll check the, the data around in the UK from various places I'm familiar with. And the actual road, the road data's accurate. And there's nothing wrong with the road data. It's TomTom's data, and TomTom's always been very good. It's just the POIs and the, the road labels which are wrong, which should be... Certainly road labels and town names, that should be fairly easy to correct once they've found out how they got them wrong in the first place. I mean, perception is partly reality, and and let's not downplay that. And I think one of the things that Apple faces is that they have... they, you know, that a lot of their advertising copy and their marketing copy and their website copy and everything does kind of position themselves as, well, you know, this is just work, this will just work, and we're the computer's company for the yeah. rest of you. Um, and it does does mean that people will judge them pretty har- harshly when things don't work, even though those of us in the industry know that, that they uh, they miss more often than perhaps the general man in the street might might think. Um, so, you know, it is, I, I do agree with some of the comments that, that have been made by some former Apple executives that actually this is a problem of Apple's own making and they just hadn't been quite so um, upfront about how fabulous their new mapping was going to be that maybe they wouldn't have, have faced this level of criticism. But I, I wanted to ask you, you've dealt with TomTom on a professional basis for, for a long time now. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, and obviously I know you, you you're looking at, at review units of, of their hardware and that sort of thing how what's your perception of of how they go about selling their data to a third party do they because I, I found myself wondering when the first reports came out is it that TomTom Tom might have given them a, a less current map set than than they use in their own units or a, a subset of the data they use in their own units do you, do you have a, what's your perception it's, it's, for dealing with them about how they might deal with that It's complicated. They have um, a number of different map data, and, and third parties can buy any number of those, starting from the base map up. It's, I suspect they've, they've literally just sold Apple, or Apple have chosen just to take the base map layer and nothing else. Right. So not the road maps or the road place names layers and not the POIs or any of the bolt-ons on top. I think they've taken just the core base map, and they've um, mixed it in with some Waze data and some other... I don't know where the, some of the other data they're getting from, but um, it appears that there is some Waze data in there, because I noticed some areas on Waze appear on the maps. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I think they've just chosen the cheapest option. But I'd be interested to know if Apple are going to license this ad infinitum, whether they've bought it as a one-shot, get them started from TomTom, Tom, and they're going to supplement it with their own data and eventually kick TomTom Tom out. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't ever see Apple doing what Google did and sending fleets of cars out or anything like that. No. Um, um, and, and I, I mean, how does TomTom, Tom, they own... Didn't they buy one of the actual underlying mapping data companies? Was it Navigon they bought or uh, Navtech? Yeah. Navtech, yeah, yeah, because there were always only two, there were only two players. Were Nav, uh, not Navtech, sorry, Teleatlas, Thompson bought, right, and Nokia bought Navtech. So that was the two map providers, which is why I presume that's why Apple went with Thompson because obviously Nav, Navtech is uh, Nokia, and that wouldn't be it wouldn't sit very well with them, I shouldn't imagine. Well, yes, they've probably got relationship types with Microsoft and Bing, haven't they? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so. Uh, but I, I, did, I did find it interesting that I suspect they didn't want to have too much of a commitment to their map provider, you know, given the experience they've had with Google, where Google, uh, you know, the rumor is that Google tried to dictate terms that they weren't very happy with. Yeah. But I, I think one of the issues they have is the, some of the sources they've used for. I, I'm, I'm aware they've used some of the, uh, the was the open open source mapping. Yeah, OpenStreetMap, yeah. OpenStreetMap, which I've never been particularly impressed with, just because it seems to get pranked too much. Yeah. You know, there's too much um, false positive data in there where people just for a laugh have gone put gone and put rubbish in. Uh, and I would imagine once it's in the database, it's, it's quite hard to filter that stuff out, really. Yeah, well, OpenStreetMap relies on local local editors, and obviously if you haven't got an editor in the area, it's quite easy to, to add you know, malicious data to the map. I've always found it fairly accurate as far as the actual... Map data, it's the, it's the guidance that's still lacking on OpenStreetMap. Obviously, yeah. that's, that's quite a complicated feature to add to any, any map data is the, the guidance and the, the route navigation bit. And that's where it lacks, I've always found. But, uh, yeah. And in some areas, it's far superior to anything else. In some of the, you know, the, the off-the-beaten-path, it can be quite, uh, quite markedly better than other mapping data. But it's an interesting... That's an open-source open, open source map, so it's, I've not seen evidence of them actually using that in the map data yet, but I'm told they are. I've, yeah, well, it's, it, they're certainly listed as one of the references, but obviously it's hard to... They're, they're mixing, you know, they're mixing all the stuff up into a data suit before they present it to you, so you, yeah. can't, really, you can't really pin it down so uh, straightforwardly. And, and that may well be where some of these errors are creeping in, is in the mix, is something's going going wrong somewhere i i, I mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't like to underestimate the task they set themselves it doesn't sound like they tried to 
they've they've unlike you know things like the move to Intel where they had it on the back burner for years before they mm. decide to push it forward. This sounds like something they've really been playing around with, and then fairly quickly they've decided to kind of go into it. And and as you say, I think the application itself is is a far superior piece of software than the Google one was. Um, but but it does seem to have these back end problems in terms of, of it's almost not not whether the data itself is bad, but whether the way it's processing the data and presenting it seems to have a few bugs in it. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly was my perception because a lot of the complaints you, you read is people saying, well, I searched for this and it, I couldn't find it, even though it was there on the map when I actually moved to it manually. Now, one of the things that you would expect Google to get right is searching because that's what they do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and I certainly think that one of the problems that Apple has here is that they're using some fairly primitive search algorithms rather than something sophisticated to actually interpret what the user wants. Um, there was a discussion I heard recently where they said that um, Google will Google would rather give you results that are wrong but give you results rather than come back and say, no, I can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas Apple seems to be, uh, and, and perhaps this is this is a, like a naive engineering decision, but they, you know they, their their approach seems to be: well, you either have a match or you don't have a match, uh, and yeah. if you don't have a match, you don't get any data back. Um, it does seem far fussier about the search term you use. You need to be very explicit about the format of the search term and the, the full address with the county and that. And it, it seems more accurate then. But if you just, I've just tried one this morning. Someone suggested Luton. If you type in Luton, it comes up with some village in Devon somewhere near Dawlish and I don't even know if there is a Luton there but if you right. type Luton Bedfordshire then it finds the correct place whereas presumably Google would would guess guess that Luton the, the chances are you're looking for Luton the, you know, the large town with the airport rather than some tiny little village in the middle of nowhere Typ- typically what yeah what I mean I've, I've certainly on the desktop version of Google Maps which I probably use a little bit more for searching than than on the iPhone mm-hmm. um that will, you know, if you put something in, you can put something very generic in and it will list you stuff all over the world it finds, but ranked in, in a probability order based on where you are. Yeah, yeah. Which is, is helpful. You know, if I if I look for a hotel in San Francisco, I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago, um, I can just type the name into the, into the Google Maps search field uh, and it will probably be four or five results down but it will be there in the list and I can just click straight to it because I I then know that yes I'm looking for the San Francisco one sure. um, whereas uh, I suspect the Apple Maps approach is oh well there's nothing in your area so we're not going to show anything to you which uh, kind of leaves you with uh, it kind of locks you in a box then it leaves you with nowhere to go except to try and refine your search so that that's definitely that something something they're going to have to work on and, and that's something that's going to have to be fixed in the app via app updates rather than something they can fix on the back end, I think, um, so much, because I think a lot of that searching happens locally. Um, yeah, so- that's interesting. Yeah, I've always I've always thought that a lot of these problems are, are simple to solve because it's off-board map data, but you're probably right that the actual the search engine coding is probably hard-coded into the app itself, isn't it? I would imagine it, it's so. Otherwise. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, and, and again, you know, it's kind of disappointing that presumably stuff like Siri has much better semantic searching and yet that technology does appear to be but maybe it was just a time issue but they haven't been able to in- integrate that into uh into the uh the maps application so i mean the bottom line you as a as a as somebody who's you know pretty much a professional mapper you see a lot of these units a lot of these bits of software yep. you've you've reviewed all the 
various different mapping solutions available for the iPhone. Mm. I mean, what would you, if you were writing a review of Apple Maps as just another entrant into the market, what would you, what would your review be? It wouldn't be great, but then it wouldn't, it wouldn't be great partly because it's an off-board mapping solution. And if I was going to rely on a navigation app for any purposes, I'd want one that was available regardless of network connectivity. Right. But if we're going to compare it with Google, Google's navigation application on the, on the Android platform, um, it's a good start. Yeah, there's yeah. obviously these glaring errors that everyone's pointed out, but the actual app itself and the navigation features and the usability, it's far superior to Google's navigation app, which is horrendous to use if you're used to... If you're used to or familiar to use, using any other navigation solution, mm-hmm. Google's navigation app is horrendous, really difficult to understand how to use it, how to set a route, how to change things, whereas Apple have approached it from the, the angle that most navigation apps are. You know, it's click the address, navigate, you've got a, a window with uh, your, your guidance, and it's really nice. So if they, can, if they can correct the errors, and I'm sure they will be working really hard on that now, then, uh, yeah, it's very promising, but just a bit of a shame that it came out the door slightly disabled under underbaked mm. <laughs> perhaps which yeah. is unusual for apple because they normally undersell a product and you know the expectation is always better whereas this time they've oversold it and people are rightly moaning now now i've had a couple of people ask me whether they should update to ios 6 partly because of this issue but also mm. as well you know there's the usual worries about oh i might lose some data or might have to reload all my apps and that sort of thing i mean would you for somebody who who's used uh, Google Maps. If, if you know, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who 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 does use Google Maps on a on a infrequent basis, would you say that they should, they, if they really like Google Maps, they should perhaps hold off on upgrading on a, to iOS six because of the mapping application, or would uh, you? I'd probably say, well, unless they've got a, a they're a heavy user of the Street View side of Google's Map app, then I'd say upgrade and use the web. Yeah, the web applet, which is you know offers you all the functionality of Google Maps. But if you need Street View, then that's the one consideration that you're told. That's the one feature you're going to lose access to. Yeah, I found that the web application can be a little bit dicky on iOS 6 in terms of being able to access your location, mm. um, which obviously is is kind of part of the joy of it, is being able to actually get that blue flashing dot showing where you are. Yeah. Um, and I found that that doesn't work as smoothly as it did with the dedicated app. Um, and, and I suppose the other thing is that the... Uh, and the web app being being a web app, if you switch away from it and start doing something else, you may come back and find that it's kind of it's got to set itself all up again. Yeah, um, I've, I've recently downloaded an app someone recommended to me called Maps Plus, which is a Google Maps replacement using Google Maps data, and it's that's very effective. Again, that doesn't have Street View, but it offers most of the functionality that Google's Map app. And is that char- is that a chargeable app? It's it, it's free, but it's limited. It, some of the features you can't record as many um, you can't record as many personal locations in the free version. Right. And it's one ninety nine to unlock it, but but as the free, as a free version, it offers pretty much all the functionality we've come to expect from Google's Map app. Yeah, I'm sure there would be howls of protest at one ninety nine, but get a grip. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, now, would you um, if if you if somebody's looking at buying a, an iPhone? Uh, yep. And uh, are thinking, oh, maybe I can use um, the map application as a substitute for a personal navigator in a car. Would you say that the, uh, assuming the data problems get sorted, you, would you say that it, that it would be, as as a kind of a free bundle thing, would be as as good as a basic navigator, or would you still rather have a dedicated piece of software or alternatively dedicated hardware unit in the car? 
Uh, I don't think it's, it's as good as a, a, a dedicated personal navigation device, but it's, it's very close. And if you're going to be an infrequent user, perhaps once or twice a year, then no reason why you couldn't use it. Yeah. If, you're, if you're someone who's going to be relying on it for your job, day-to-day -day, navigation, commuting, then I'd say invest in a decent app or a, a good PND. Yeah, and and which of the uh, which of the apps would you for, for iOS would would is currently at the top of the pile? Um, at the moment, I've I've always been a Tom a TomTom -tom user because I come from TomTom's PNDs, but I've yeah. actually found myself using Garmin and Navigon on the on the iPhone five. They're the first two that have upgraded to take advantage of the four inch screen. Oh, and, right. Um, Garmin and Navigon, obviously Garmin own Navigon now, but they're two very different apps in their their sort of user interface. They're both very nice, very easy to use. And Garmin particularly is simple, but um, yeah, nice. And, and I think one of the key things you said about those apps is that they actually hold in memory the, all of the map data. They don't they don't stream stuff from the from the web. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, for yeah. us, you can buy a UK or a Europe version. So if you if you type on space, you can just get the UK map. But all all the data is on board except for things like traffic. If you need if you want to add on the traffic services, but all the data is on board. You don't need a network signal, uh, uh, a data connection, so you can use it. Uh, so, so how much do they cost, and how how big is that data set as well? Uh, well, Garmin, I've got Garmin UK, uh, GB and Armour, that's hundred gig, I think, in size. It's about eight hundred mm. megabytes. That's for the app and the and the map itself. But I'm not sure how much they cost. I'm find out for you. Well, that's so. uh, that's less that's less space than I thought it would be. I mean, I've got games on my iPhone that take more space up than that. Yeah, because again, this is this is vector data as as with Apple, so it's fairly fairly space efficient. I mean, even the even the uh, the full Western Europe maps come in at under two gig, for about one point eight gig for a Western Europe map, and that's Garmin UK and Ireland's thirty nine ninety nine. So I mean, that's it's a sizable purchase when we're talking about apps. But uh, but having said that, it's still a fair bit cheaper than going out and buying a, a TomTom or a Garmin unit, which is yeah. is going to be at least double that. Absolutely, no. Yeah. It's just more—it's more convenient if you've got your phone in the car, plugged into power. You, you, your phone's always charged, ready for use. You've got your hands-free mobile on it. You've got your navigation. Well, you know, you've got, you've got your search. It's, it's just much more convenient, I find, than the PMD these days. Yeah, well, I mean, PMD is fine if if it's the problem in a car is obviously you're always worried about having it stolen. Uh, unless it's built into the vehicle, uh, mm. and the other thing as well is, if, you, if for any reason you do have to switch cars, you have more than one car in your family, um, you can share the app between two devices yep. uh, easily. So you've got a saving there, and also you know if, if you if you travel, you go on vacation or um, you're traveling on business and you're renting a car, then also you've got it with you. You know that example in Ireland. One, that's one of the reasons that we that we used Google Maps on that trip was because you know we were in a, we were in a rental car and uh, neither of us really wanted to cart a, um, a a dedicated device through airport security and, and baggage and all of that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite quite a, a plus from from that point of view. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, do you find that one of the things that always slightly put me off a navigation app on the phone was uh, the the size of the screen? I mean, does the four inch for the iPhone five does that make a big difference? Uh, I can't say it makes a huge difference on us. I mean, I've always found that, you know, the three and a half inch screen was about as small as you'd like to go. Certainly not as not as big as some of the, the newer navigating devices you can get now, but uh, perfectly usable. Obviously, if, you, if you're getting a bit older, if your eyes are a little bit dickier, perhaps a you know a five-inch hardware PND would be more suitable. But um, yeah, I, I did once use the uh, original Orange SPV with yeah, a, with the first TomTom yeah, Tom app. Yes, um, which had a screen that was was God, it seems so small now, but it can't have been more about one point eight inches across. Yeah, uh, it was pretty small, and obviously no touch interface. It was all via the buttons on the phone. 
Um, the, only, the only downside of the, the smartphone solution, of course, is you have to invest in a cradle and a car charger and then perhaps some means of interfacing it with your stereo so you get the, you know, the directions for your head unit and it can add up. But, um, yeah, and that it's interesting that because I've just been wrestling with this. I've got a Toyota Ago, which has got a built-in um, iPod cable. Mm. Like I have the 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 Ago Go that has the TomTom Connect dead kind of dedicated head unit, kind of built into the dashboard. Oh yes, yes, yes. So that has it has Bluetooth for phone calls on it, but doesn't do Bluetooth for um, audio. Uh, and then they have an iPod cable. That's kind of hook comes out of the car dash with the thirty pin connector on the end of it, yeah. Uh, and obviously that's a problem for the five now because that you know it doesn't have the thirty pin dot connector on it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about what to do for this because I I will be going to a five in a few weeks, um, and the solution I've come up with is that I have bought a it's only about a tenner. It's a little um, keychain sized Bluetooth dongle with a three and a half mil jack on it. Right. that uh, has its own 5-hour battery in it, and that plugs into the auxiliary 3.5mm jack on the front of the stereo. Oh, yes, yes. That's and nice so that means... Yeah, because one of the problems with my iPod cable, anyway, with my iPhone 4, is that it's on the passenger side of the car, just sticking out of the glove box. It's actually a bit awkward to reach. Yeah. Um, you can't pull it out far enough to use it with the dock. Uh, and it also means that when the phone's plugged into it, and maybe this is by design, but you can't... It's basically sat on a, on a shelf in the uh, on the passenger side. You can't really access it or use it at all. Um, so if you can't control through the head unit, if you're using a podcast app or something like that, you're kind of stuffed, really. Um, so it, so that was a little bit inflexible too. So with this Bluetooth solution now, I can get in the car, get my audio through the stereo through that. Um, the TomTom still picks up a call and switches Bluetooth to that if if I get a call in. Um, and it does mean that I can, I, you know, I'm now free if I want to cradle up my uh, iPhone uh, and also use my use an iPhone 5. I've got that option because I'm not tied to that cable that's in the uh, passenger side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a fairly good solution for anybody who wants audio through car speakers and they've got a 3.5mm jack. It's one of these, you know, they are literally... It was £10 from China. It's not expensive. Um, and they work really, really well. That's far too... Recently, I had to do exactly the same in my car, but my car's um, got no no auxiliary in, uh, no, no no Bluetooth. It's a much older stereo. And the only way the solution I could find was one that imitates the CD changer. Oh, right. A little, little box of tricks that plugs in between the ISO connectors at the back, and then that provides a Bluetooth path to um, any device you want to stream through it. And yeah. you just switch to the CD changer, and you retain all your steering wheel controls, and so you can fast-forward your tracks. Excellent. But um, that's a, it's a n- nearly £90 for that, so a lot mm. more expensive. But, again, that means I'm free of any connections on the, as long as I can plug into charge the, the phone and I'm you know, good to go then. And at yeah. last, I've got my podcasts and my iTunes Music Library back in the car, which is something I missed. Definitely, definitely. So, um, I mean, do you, do you think that... Uh, how, how long do you think it will be before we start seeing improvements in, App, in Apple's maps? You know, how hard is, it, is this as a problem to solve? Well, it's an interesting question because we don't really know until we're clear on what exactly the problem was in the first place. It's hard to know whether this is you know, heavily coded into the, 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 the application itself or whether it's just data that they can change. If it's data, then we should be able to see quite rapid changes to the data sets and the results of searches and POIs and that fairly quickly. And I'm hoping that we will at least see an improvement in some areas yeah. soon. Things like, I just said, things like search, if they're hard-coded into the app, we're going to need an update for that. But POIs, place names... You know, the Duncasters and Basingstoke in a field 10 miles west of the true location. 
hopefully they'll be corrected fairly quickly. Yeah. What's your uh, do, do this, the dedicated apps you're talking about? Do they do transit at all? Because that's the other thing that big thing that's missing that Google offers, which is uh, you know bus and rail timetable work. No, I don't think they do. No, and, and I think Navigon might have bus bus timetables as a, as a pl- as an extra cost option, one of their extra services. But certainly, Thompson and Garmin don't. It's not something I've ever used. But again, that's one of those things you realise that just because you don't use it doesn't mean it's not popular with a lot of people. I'd never used it before until I went to San Francisco. Uh, we used it. I was in San Francisco for a, a week for VMworld uh, at the end of August, and and we used it an awful lot there mm. when we were getting around the city and. You know, once you kind of get tuned into it, it is incredibly useful to be able to say, well, I want to get here now, show me how to get there by bus. And it actually lists you the bus, you know, the bus routes, mm. which I, 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 I've never been a big bus user, but whenever I look at a bus stop or a bus timetable, um, it, I, it always seems to me that the big failing in, in bus mapping is that you have to know the local landmarks all the way to where you're going in order to make use of them. Yes, um, yes. You know, because a bus timetable will list all these places, which if you don't know where it is and you don't know where the thing you're looking for is near, it, it mean, makes it very difficult to get get there by bus unless you ask somebody. And and the the Google Maps solution really got, got over, over that. There was a couple of stores we wanted to go to where which hadn't been to San Francisco before. We, we hadn't ever seen, so we didn't know how we could get there without a car. Um, and just being able to type the store name in and then get transit directions allowed us to get there by bus, which is something we've never been able to do. But I, I and I would imagine, I could imagine quite a lot of people being quite reliant on that. Um, so I can see that being as, as a big miss. The problem is, is that the third-party apps I've seen that are trying to fill that gap really are very, very spotty in terms of coverage. Yeah, and this this whole idea of Apple's that they're going to encourage third-party solutions to, to, you know, to fill in the gaps in this data, I can't see that ever working. People don't want to be constantly pushed into another app to get transit directions and traffic and POI certs. And, and what was the tr- what was the bus, the sort of tra- public transport direction like for UK? Was the data... I wasn't aware that there was much data in this uh, country. I've, I've used it in London, um, uh, and it seemed to be pretty good. I mean, really what you want to do when you when you want to go somewhere by bus is you is you want to get, you know, which bus stop do I go to and which number bus should I get on? Um, and then after that, you're normally okay because normally when you get on, you can ask the bus driver, you can ask somebody on the bus if it's somewhere you're not familiar with, where can I get off or uh, yeah. how far do I have to go or where, what do I have to change to? And you, you'll normally get the information. But obviously, you can't just get on a bus stop at random and hope mm. it's going in the right direction, it's going to the right place, you know. Um, so, so that's what the app kind of gives you. And as, as I say, I know it does work well in London. I've never used it, I've never used it here in Manchester because I don't really use the buses here. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, is it an edge case? Is it not? It's still a nice to have. Mm. And um, things like that aren't going to be easy to, you know, to, to replace quickly. The problem is, is Google's obviously done a lot of work to try and gather the data from those various different sources and integrate it into their data set. The difficulty is is that, um, you know, every bus company present that it's all publicly available data, but they often present it in very different ways. Yeah. Uh, and you really need to 
talk to the company directly to set up a uh, the you know these bus timetables dynamic they're they're updated every six months or so routes change as as roads close and services change and this sort of thing uh, and you do, you know I know from working with bus companies professionally that you do need to have a relationship with the timetable planners in order to keep that data up to date it's not the sort of thing you can just take from publicly available sources and integrate you know you need some sort of live two-way feed between you and presumably that's what Google's done to build transit directions as Google Maps. Yeah. Whether Apple's ever really, it sounds like they've decided that that's something they don't want to do. Whether a third-party application could do that effectively I suspect it's going to be fairly spotty. The other risk I, I guess is from a, a developer point of view is that you know, many developers over the years have been burned by Apple where oh, yes. they've taken advantage of, of these sorts of features and then the next version has come along and Apple said, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so, or, so... Or they said, oh, we're going to do it ourselves now. You know, the, you're, you're exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and all the work you've done has kind of kind of comes to naught. So mm. I, I suppose that's the risk, really. I And given what's happened with this, I suspect that Apple would need to build some serious bridges if they want to see that happening which suggests it might not, Yeah, you know. Um, so perhaps, again, a third-party app that uses Google as a source that then linked into uh, linked into Apple's API might be the, the only way around it. And, of course, it remains to be seen if Google are actually going to dip their toes in the water and produce an iOS app, or even if they do, whether Apple will allow it, isn't it? Yes, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine at this point, unless Apple Maps seriously improved. I, I could imagine serious PR fallout if Google said they'd submit an app to the store and it kept on being rejected. Yeah, absolutely. They'd be um, crucified. Yeah, they don't, they? because it it would be viewed as being far too protectionist. Um, but. Uh, Google have got little to lose by trying, really. They? If they produce an app and Apple refuse it, they win. And if they produce an app and Apple permit it, they win anyway. So. Well, well, maybe, maybe not. It depends what, I suppose, you know, looking at strategically, what's Google's end game? I know their, their short-term gain is always to get more data, get more users, get more potential eyeballs for an advertising platform. Um, however, they might take the view that... that this is a strong enough issue that it might push more people towards Android. Mm. Uh, and therefore, not having a presence on the Apple platform could seem as a short-term strategic advantage for them. Yeah, I suspect probably what they're going to do is wait and see. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd, my, my gut feel is that, is that they, will, they won't rush to get an app out that they will um, rather be, be, probably be quite happy to, uh, to see Apple stew in the PR fallout from this for a while. And what's your view on? There's been a lot of discussion about whether there was an app in development, whether they were you know close to close to launching one. Can you believe that they they didn't see that Apple were going to be jumping ship and producing their own solution you know, a long time ago? I'm sure that I'm sure the Google Maps team knew because the you know these biz, sort of business decisions don't get made overnight. No. Um, I would imagine that even the type of organisation I understand Google to be, where you know people are encouraged to do their own thing if they think it's a useful idea. So I would imagine that even if even if corporately they weren't developing an official app that um, a group of the Google Maps engineers were probably doing some coding to mm-hmm. uh, to to build up something separately. I mean I think everyone needs to remember that the the Google Maps app on iOS 5 wasn't developed by Google it was was developed by Apple. No that's right yeah it's just, so, just uh, the data that's Google's. Yeah. That? But having said that these things aren't you know it's some for a half decent coder and let's face it one thing Google has is clever coders coming out the rears um these things aren't aren't difficult to develop 
Um, and uh, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if they could come up, if Google themselves could some, come up with something that's, that, you know, actually functionally was very good, whether it would be aesthetically very good. Um, you know, I still have some problems with the the way the some of the other official Google apps function on the iPhone um, is a different matter, but I'm sure functionally it would have pretty much everything that you, that you get on the uh, on the main experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but in terms of in terms of where that is and how official that is, I guess that that will be some. That sounds to me like a board level discussion. So even if somebody has 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 been officially tasked with, you know, a team has been tasked with knocking up an app, the the decision on submission and issue of that would, I would imagine, would be very high up in Google because sure, you're talking yeah. about big strategic mojo there, aren't you? Yeah. So. And it's, wor- it's worth reiterating for people who weren't aware that obviously Apple were never able to use navigation with the Google Maps solution on their licensing. So yeah. At whatever point they've decided to, to jump ship and produce their own, we would never have had a navigation solution without uh, Apple yeah. producing their own, and their the own package. And the pseudo navigation you had in the Google, in the Google app on iOS five was terrible. I mean, because mm. that that island trip I I talked about, we actually used that. Um, so basically, for anybody who never used it, most people didn't because it was terrible. I think um, it just basically gave you a list of directions, and then um, the idea was is as you scrolled through the list, it would show you a local map of that junction. But actually, figuring out how close you were to that, and then exactly what you had to do, it was really hard work. It wasn't certainly wasn't anything you could do while you were actually move, tr- uh, driving a vehicle. Um, as a, and and even as a passenger, when somebody else was driving, it was tough. It was tough to keep it, and I ended up most of the time, you know, using the uh, the kind of the blue line it had drawn to show me the route, but then actually using the main moving map to actually direct us through the junctions rather than the direction thing. The it's, problem, the problem is it it arbitrarily decides what what directions it's going to give you, um, and then you have to look through and, and kind of ahead of time figure out what those directions are and relate those to the environment around you rather than having them spoken to you with a diagram which is what a <laughs> you know a proper mapping application does it's a throwback so, to navigation solution the very very early sort of pre-gps navigation solutions absolutely it? yes you had no concept of where you were you just had to keep updating the, the sort of route the trip that's right it was kind of it was kind of those things where you would you know you would what was that microsoft um Map application everyone used to use auto routes. Oh, auto route, yes. yeah. And what yeah. you would you would sit down the computer and you would actually print out all the junctions, wouldn't you? Yes. Uh, and then you'd be flipping through them while you were trying to drive. It was it was, it was a very similar experience and really mm. not satisfactory at all. Um, so, uh, you know, they, yeah, there you go. I mean, what's your view about? We've seen this. I've mentioned this unit I've got on my car. That's that's a TomTom unit that's effectively integrated into the car with a dedicated dash. Mm. Um, is, uh, is that the double din one with a with a t- full TomTom screen built into it? it yeah, basically, it, it, what it is is it is it's it's almost like it, it's a standalone TomTom unit. You could use it out of the car if you wanted. Yeah. But the top of the dash has a flip up piece with a, uh, a with a kind of a, a custom connector, and the TomTom clips into it, and then it oh, appears that's right, to be yeah. part of the it's dash. Right. It's in a right? pod that flips up that, that's the top right, of the dash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and. Certainly, particularly in the UK small car market now, you're seeing these sort of things more and more to give navigation on cars, which are they, they tend to be, you know, rather rather than the thousand pounds that uh, satellite navigation systems often are in a vehicle. They, these are a lot cheaper. Mm. Um, I mean, what's your view about mapping in general for cars? Do you see that 
that that that is the direction the industry is going to go in, which is integrating, you know, custom units from third parties like TomTom and Garmin. Yeah. Or do you think that they will actually start to leverage the smartphones? Because you know, it would be great if you could plug your um, your phone. Uh, or, or even wireless to connect your phone into the car, but then have the the mapping data displayed on a bigger screen in the vehicle. Mm. Well, there's, there's certainly the, the, the big companies, Garmin and um, TomTom, Navigon, they're all working very hard to get relationships with the uh, motor manufacturers, and we're seeing a lot more of these licensing deals pop up now. Yeah, which is good because the, the lead time for electronics in cars is, you know, measuring decades. By the time they get a GPS unit built into a car, it's already three or four years behind the behind the curve. Yeah. Whereas if they can in the TomToms and the Garmin's. They're getting pretty current models that people are familiar with. They've got the feats they like. But we're also seeing um, some options popping up now with the consortiums called CarConnect, I think it is, where you get a smartphone that can display the smartphone screen on the built-in dashboard display. So right. any app you choose to run on your smartphone, your BlackBerry, your Nokia, runs on the screen, and you can interact with it via the car screen. And that's another... Certainly, I think Jaguar just licensed a deal with um, VNC to do much of that. Yeah, I mean, to me that that would be the best solution. You know, even if even you could even take, you could imagine lashing up a solution with a um, with a, an Apple TV and an in-car in-car monitor, and mm. actually doing it over AirPlay. You know, using screen sharing, you know, screen mirroring. Yeah. Uh, as as as. Well, you know, as kind of as a homebrew solution or something like that, but obviously if it was built in and it supports the right protocols, then um, that that would be the best thing, you know, kind of a bigger version of the screen, as long as you had the touch controls yeah. so you could you could interface back. If you, um, get, enough, if you get enough manufacturing boards so you get one or two standards, that would be superb. Then we can you know, reliably expect any app we choose to run to run in the car, which would be great. You get the, the benefits of the large screen and the, the large touchscreen interface and... You know, all the security of having your own apps, taking your phone with you and transferring it from car to car as you need it. Yeah. Oh, happy day. Mm. <laughs> no doubt they'll make it really complicated and it'll be 10 years before we see the APIs made available, but yeah. uh, we live in hope. That's exactly I mean, it is frustrating how complicated some of this stuff is. You know, the, the TomTom unit I've got, it, for some reason, it can't talk to the SIM in the iPhone to get live data, even though it has that capability. So yeah. I can't get live traffic through the uh, through the TomTom, even though it's got a wireless data connection to the phone, mm. um, which is frustrating because if you have a standalone unit, my wife's got a um, got a uh, TomTom Live standalone unit, and that the you know the built-in communication that's got is fantastic in terms of live traffic reporting. They also have crowdsource traffic reporting as well, don't they? So yes, yeah. they act, it's, but it's not it's not not manual; it's automatic. So they actually see where. TomToms are moving slowly on a particular route and they know that that must mean congestion and then they update all the others with that system. And, That's and right. you know, it, I mean, it is spookily accurate. Um, and, it, and it'd be great to have that on my unit, but but I don't have it. I, w- I would imagine, do you get all those sorts of features on the apps if you buy the apps? Yes. Uh, yeah. As option, optional extras, I presume. Yeah, Garmin, Navigon and TomTom have all got uh, extra cost traffic options, you know, with the floating vehicle data, which is all very popular now, and as I say, spookily accurate. You mm. can finally rely on it. And if you plot your route and it says it's going to be clear, you can be fairly sure that your journey into work is going to be clear, and it's yes, yeah. lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting times. Indeed. Well, you know, thanks for giving us your perspective. Um, it's always good to uh, 
to get somebody get talk to somebody who who knows a bit more than the you know just what they've read in the latest tech blogs. And I think uh, I think we've definitely had that from you. I mean, apart from apart from maps, how, how do you like the five? Do you Love uh, it. yeah? yeah? I'd, well, I had a four, so I'd, I'd, it's been a fairly big leap for me, and it's obviously there's lots a lot faster. Yeah, uh, but I'm loving that the, the, the extra row of icons, that, that extra real estate makes it makes it a lot nice to use in mm-hmm. certain apps, you know, mail and the web browser and that. And then, yeah. yeah, it's really nice. What's your um, just an aside because I, you know, you were mentioning just before we started that you professionally repair iPhones for a living. Yeah. So, uh, what's your view on um, the other slight gate that's uh, brewing up around the iPhone five, or people are trying to, which is the the scratching of the uh, of the anodized coatings. Yeah, issue. well, they do, they do appear to have been a, a bad batch because I've I've dropped mine. mine. Mine's a black one. I've dropped it three yeah. or four times now, and it's survived unscathed. Whereas a, a colleague of mine, his, you barely had to wipe it with your thumb, and the, the anodized coating would come off. So it appears so had a, few... a manufacturing problem mm. rather than a, he took it an back en- to Apple endemic they, design. Yeah, and they yeah. said they'd had a few of them, and they swapped it, and he's tried the same test on the new one. And it's survived unscathed so i think they have, did have a problem in manufacturing there yeah i must admit i um as i said i'm hoping to upgrade to a five in the next few weeks i'm just waiting for the company to get its um, corporate act together mm. um but I, this is the first phone in a while um where i thought to myself you know it's so good looking that i really don't want to case it up i want to use it bare yeah uh, and i'm thinking about maybe putting one of those um kind of you know invisiskin type things on it just to give it a little bit of protection yeah. um but not actually Put it in a in a case that kind of hides the phone away. I just confess, be- I, I intend to do the same. But I've I've capitulated and bought a bumper with a sort of plastic see-through rear panel on it. Right. Just, I didn't want to risk getting it scratched. They're getting so many reports of scratches. I thought I will take the chance, but I don't think I actually need it. But I'm a bit clumsy with things like this. They put them in pockets with keys and drop them onto desks with grit. That's it. Well, I'm presuming on a professional basis, every phone that comes through you is a potential donor to uh, clean up the case on your own one. <laughs> <laughs> If you saw the phones I get on a professional basis, I wouldn't want to donate them to me. So, uh, yeah, really? Are they? Yeah, uh, are they? Uh, they're in a state. Yes, very much. I've got one on the desk here that's been run, worked, used by a plaster for two years, and I opened it up, and there's three years worth of plaster inside it. Absolutely caked. Brilliant. Lovely. Yeah. Does that? How, how does that do? Uh, what does that do to performance? Well, it came with it. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't read the SIM. The camera wasn't working. The speaker wasn't working. Yeah, funny what all that dust and dirt and plastic dust does to the device. <laughs> Not the sort. I kind of imagine, you know, people in the building trade using hardy old Nokia's rather than a smartphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just doesn't seem to. Uh, it doesn't seem to, uh, to to gel to take something that you know, with the best will in the world, they're they're not they're not as as uh, as robust as something no. with an all resin case. No, they're not your typical builder's phone for sure. No. You just need to invest in one of those Griffin Survivor cases or something like that. It'll that's just right, keep yeah. some of the dirt out of it. Definitely. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. So, uh, well, I'm glad to uh, glad to hear that you're giving it the official seal of approval from a repair perspective. <laughs> yes, yes. So I've, op- I've opened mine already. I opened mine the first day I got it just to see how easy it was to repair and it's delightfully easy to work on this one. I'm really happy. I take it you don't buy your own Apple Care on your own phones then you just no. uh, you are your you are your own apple care yes indeed yes <laughs> brilliant <laughs> okay well thanks for uh thanks for talking it was great to have you on oh, and nice to uh today. i will uh i'll look forward to putting the show together and getting out it's been a couple of weeks before we've uh, been able to get a show out so uh and we'll see how um how maps develops maybe we'll, maybe we'll get you on in a, a few months time to see how the mapping's improved and see what you think 
Excellent. Well, I'm training for the marathon next year, so I've listened to all the podcasts. So I've got hours and hours of podcasts to listen to, so I've... Tech fan's one of my favourites. Brilliant, thank you. Glad you enjoy it. Keep your company on the long, lonely runs. <laughs> we'll be thinking about that next time we record. Yes. <laughs> All right, then. Good to speak to you. Take Cheers, care. David. Speak to you soon. Bye. Take care. Bye.